Are you talking to me or them? Oh, both. Oh, I'm full. Yeah, we had a nice uh, sushi dinner. Mm, You're welcome. You, we know you want to hear about it. Yeah, it was amazing. Yes, thank you, Karen. Karen treated. Yes, of course. We're murder of ages. We are. My name's Marcy. I'm Karen. Thank you for joining us and letting us be a part of your world yes. for the next hour. Hopefully, not that long. Oh, you know, give us an hour. Okay. Give us an hour to blow your freaking mind. Ooh, yeah. With some true crime. We will blow it. (laughs) Ow! Whatever, Karen, you said it. Mm. You'll do it. (laughs) So one of us does a past true crime story. One of us does a present. Past is anything. We're saying anything before 1985. Yes. It was really... Life did. I mean, yeah. I was going to say, did life even exist before 1985? Um, no, because we weren't alive. But we know it did because there was a lot of shit that went down. Yeesh, ain't that the truth. In the Pacific Northwest. Yes. And I am past this week. Yeah. But I think before we dive into the tricks and treats of it all. Hmm. You know what? Wherever you listen... Near, far, here or there, in a box with a fox. Okay, Rate, Dr. Reviews. <laughs> God. <laughs> Rate, review, and subscribe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, leave us some stars. Yeah. I feel like if we put it at the end of the episode, you know, we, we're down to the one person that's already reviewed and rated and re- subscribed. Mm, so if we get them early, yeah. hook, line, and sinker. Yep. I We hooked you with our sushi. the line rate review and subscribe i think it's time to sink Ooh, by blowing them (laughs) karen i think that was like now we're probably gonna get some emails a murder of ages at gmail.com um and maybe five stars (laughs) yeah your fingers do the walking i could have said no okay i'm just gonna stop i'm just gonna I'm going to stop with the dirty talk. Okay, let's go. All right. So I am first. I hadn't already said that. You did. I received my sources or got my sources. Yeah. Found my sources from an Oregon Life article written by Randy Bjornstad. Mm -hmm. Offbeat Oregon history article written by Finn J.D. John and Wikipedia. Mm, The best. The freaking best, right? Yes. I mean, if you want to, drop them a line, too. Okay. Yeah. I will. Drop them a, a few bucks. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, they're always asking for money. Oh, okay. Yeah. Support us. Support them. Okay. I'm going to support your this local line. Wikipedia. Support your small girl podcasters. <laughs> I know we're two of about a million out there. <laughs> what we is going are on? Thriving. We are not on drugs. Working it's fine. so hard. I am on the drug. The drug. <laughs> <laughs> Just one. Just one. Where was I? I don't know. Oh. Are you going to get to the story? Okay. Okay. So Randy Bjornstad wrote an article on the Oregon life. Okay. About the remodel of his 1938 Eugene house. For those of you that don't know, Eugene is not the name of the house. Eugene is Eugene, Oregon. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm, thank you. Inside a wall between two studs, him and his wife found a photo of a toddler boy standing next to a life-size doll. What? Amazingly, that's not what the story is about. Oh, okay. There was also a two-page grocery ad from 1959, a King of Hearts playing card, a comic strip, and a 1962 true crime article. Mm. The article read, 
should I read it like a a 1960s broadcaster? Please. <laughs> two years ago today. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was really good. Two years ago Tuesday, a Portland lover's lane yielded a brutal discovery. <laughs> Please continue. That was so good. Oh my gosh. The body of a well-liked young student, Larry Ralph Payton of Portland, was found stabbed and beaten in his car. There was a bullet hole in the window. Six weeks later, the body of his girlfriend, attractive co-ed Beverly Ann Allen, 19 of Port Towns in Washington, was found near the Sunset Highway. What happened to the Portland State College student and the Washington State University sophomore between the time they left Port Payton's home for an evening in Portland and the time their bodies were found remains a mystery. County detectives have followed uncounted leads, sifted mountains of information, and a search for clues that might solve the double slaying. Similar slayings in other parts of the country have been investigated. But today, two years after the savage murders, the Peyton Allen case remains unclosed and unsolved. Oh my god. Oh my god. I can't breathe. Oh my god. I have no idea what you said because I was trying so hard not to laugh. I was trying not to break looking oh at god. you laughing. Marcy, like, Whoa. wow. Just, Thank you. Just round of a fucking applause. Nobody probably. I'm going to paraphrase all that. That was really good. <laughs> I was pinching my eyes so hard. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh my god, that was really good. You're in, like, so. the wrong, like, profession. I think you, like, should have... I'm in the wrong century. <laughs> yeah, you should have went into acting for sure. Oh, so, um, two students were found. Well, one Yeah, student... yeah, tell me what happened, because yeah. I have no idea. I'm going to back... Uh... Okay. So, um, Lover's Lane. Okay. Uh, they find the body of Larry from Portland, stabbed and beaten. Uh, and then he... He, six weeks later, they found the body of his girlfriend, who was 19, and she was from Washington. So okay. Larry went to Portland State, and um, his girlfriend, Beverly, <laughs> went to uh, Washington State University. Okay. Okay, so at the time of this article, this was a 1962 article. The bodies were found in 1960 is when this happened. And when the article was written, the two years later, the... It was still unsolved. Oh, okay. So, who were these people? Why was there a little clipping about their murder in a wall in Eugene? I don't know. And who put it there? Not me. This is where our story begins. Oh, okay. It wasn't you. I don't think so. Well, we'll check. Damn it, you were the top of the list, Karen. I don't remember. I could have been on (laughs) the drug. The drug. (laughs) So, I'm using last names. Um, oh, God. So, okay. yeah. Well, I guess I got to remember whose last name is who here. So, Larry, Peyton, and Beverly Allen. So, Larry and Beverly met during the summer of 1960. They are college students, and they both had summer jobs at the Crater Lake Lodge. Okay. Which is run by Larry's parents, Ralph and Catherine Peyton. So, in the fall, the young couple returned to their colleges but after thanksgiving beverly traveled to portland to visit larry and his family for the weekend saturday night november 26 the two go out in his car a 1949 ford Mm -hmm. supposedly they wanted to visit a new shopping center a state-of-the-art lloyd center had opened in august of 1960 but they never returned (gasps) Da, da, da. Gasp. Bom, bom. <laughs> bom, bom. <laughs> so on the evening of November 27th, Larry's Ford Coupe was found parked on a remote lover's lane in Forest Park in Portland with his body inside. Ooh. So he had been stabbed 23 times. Whoa. 23. Whoa. With a four-inch blade. Oh, no. Just four inches. Oh. And he had also suffered a severe skull fracture. And I'm sorry, I'm going to pause it right there. Don't put pause on that, though. On the Facebook Eyewitness News, somebody asked, how much snow is in Walla Walla? And one of the comments was, don't ask a man. Four inches turns to eight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yes. Four inches, yes. I didn't think of that. Okay. 
So he had mud on his clothes, which led investigators to surmise that there had been a fight outside the car. And it looked like Larry had crawled back inside the car after the fight and lived for several hours as he was bleeding to death. Oh, wow. So they found a piece of Beverly's shirt under his body and a single bullet hole through the windshield. Beverly is nowhere to be seen. Her purse and coat were still in the car, and her broken glasses were lying on the ground. Mm. So news of this crime swept the countryside, with accounts appearing in newspapers as far as Alabama, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Illinois, Connecticut, Florida, and Canada. Dang. Many There are many pictures printed of the lovers side by side. Larry had those classic heavy-rimmed glasses with super short curly hair. And um, Beverly, she had a cute little bob, big smile, very Jackie Kennedy-esque. Mm, okay. As was every young woman at this time. All <laughs> right. <laughs> so they, newspapers referred to him as popular, and they called her pretty. So law enforcement officers and volunteers searched the hills looking for Beverly. Um, six, as many as 600 people showed up wow. to search. And her parents even offered a $1,000 reward for information that would lead to finding her either dead or alive. Mm-hmm. So they just want to know. And I didn't do the inflation, $1,000 in 1960. Mm, let's just say 10000 Basically. I think you're probably pretty right. I know. I'm sorry. So people <laughs> from all over, including a waitress at a Eugene restaurant, three boys in Klamath Falls, and someone in Olympia Ooh. reported seeing her, but they were all cases of misidentification. Mm. As we know and talked about, eyewitness testimony is not usually the right. strongest. Yes. So that brings us to January 9th, 1961. It was a Monday. Hmm. A highway crew is cutting brush along the road west of Portland, and they find Beverly. Uh, She was lodged against some saplings down a slope off the highway, so just like she had rolled and hit the little trees. Um, Autopsy showed she had been strangled. Wow. Historian Phil Stanford wrote a book about the case. And so we start with hidden newspaper on the wall. Here in the middle, we're going to talk about the Zodiac Oh, So Phil Stanford believes police had the Zodiac in custody. Wow. Because he was active from the late 60s and early 70s in Northern California, which is not that far from Oregon. Yeah. They share a state border. You are not wrong. And Eugene is Southern Oregon, which goes down and then you hit. Northern California. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not wrong. And he, and this, so the late 60s is when he's active, and this was the early 60s, so it could have been earlier murder. Mm-hmm. And he targeted young couples. Mm-hmm. Shooting and stabbing. Mm-hmm. So, talk a little bit about the, you know, quote-unquote Zodiac they had in their, in their uh, custody. Okay. One of the early leads, the cops came across was a, it says, prison-hardened tough guy mm. with the name Edward W. Edwards. Oh. So Edwards had been found snooping around the crime scene the day after Larry's body was found. And 10 days later, later he was caught setting off fire alarms as a prank. And he also had an unexplained bullet wound in his upper arm. Hmm. So police revoke his parole and they toss him in lockup and they made plans to interrogate him first thing Monday morning. But while this is happening, they also get some tips about uh, some teenage drinking parties that the couple had been seen at and there had been a fight. So they start to focus more on that okay. than Edward Edwards. So they he kind of goes to the back burner and he didn't make it to Monday. He escaped over the weekend. Oh, shit. And disappeared. Oh, shit. But since they were already kind of focusing on these teenage parties, they didn't really worry 
about him escaping too much. You know, they thought it's just, you know, what are the chances of this guy pulling fire alarms and then also being our killer? Because the crimes are pretty far, you know, pulling fire alarms. But I, the bullet wound. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, the historian Phil points out that they didn't ask themselves why a seasoned crook who knew very well how the system worked would want to avoid questioning bad enough to break out of jail and go fully on the lam when the worst charge he was facing was a prank misdemeanor. Right. He really wanted to be avoid avoid questioning. That's what I was thinking as he left. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like any criminal who escaped should be more suspicious. So we have his movements. Edwards moved east and eventually was caught after a bank robbery that landed him on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list for a little bit. He claimed to have an IQ in the high 130s, but he wasn't able to figure out that paying cash for a new Cadillac and a bunch of new things for his crummy apartment might attract some attention, which it did, the police attention. Mm. He was arrested, and there was a hair that had been found on Beverly, and they compared it with his, and it eliminated him as a suspect. Okay. I don't know what year that was, though, because I'm thinking, you know, how good was the comparison testing, depending on the year. Right. Okay. Early in 2009, the Wisconsin (laughs) State Police reopened a cold case file from 1980. Someone had followed two young lovers as they walked home from a wedding reception and stabbed the man to death and raped and strangled his fiance. The bodies were found by hunters six months later, and they were so badly decomposed that they couldn't get the killer's DNA. Wow. It was gone. Uh, They did save samples, uh, though, just in case. Mm -hmm. There was some day when the technology would be there to test them. And that day came. Today. 2009. Oh. July, the Wisconsin, so that's why they reopened the case. The Wisconsin State Police were able to match it to Edward Edwards. Ooh. But by 2009, he was a 76-year-old in a wheelchair on oxygen. Of course. But they still charged him with two counts of murder. Good. So his name is popping up in the news, and other places start contacting Wisconsin. And he had been at the scene of a number of other crimes that looked a lot like Larry and Beverly's murder. Young lovers. hmm Great Falls, Montana in 1956, when a young couple was murdered, the 19-year-old male was found lying next to his car with his hands tied, shot in the back of the head, and his girlfriend was found six miles away, and she had also been shot through the head. Oh, wow. So, and. You know, he's making his way. 1956 is in Montana. Mm-hmm. Then there was the death of two high school kids in Akron, Ohio. Uh, in 79, they were found six years later. They had been shot and stabbed. So Edwards is a person of interest in that case. Okay. So in 2010, he confessed that he was the guy who murdered a couple in Doylestown, Ohio in 77. Which uh, he had killed them execution style. Oh, wow. Shotgun to the back of the head. Mm-hmm. And, bop he was in the San Francisco Bay Area during mm-hmm. the Zodiac Killer's reign. Oh, wow. And the killings, as we know, stopped suddenly. Mm-hmm. About the same time he moved away. <gasps> oh. Could it be? He died April 7, 2011. Just, he was only a few weeks into his life sentence for the Wisconsin murder. Uh, he never did confess to any other slayings. Uh, and that, yeah, that's that. It wow. looks like he could be a suspect. And then there's also, you know, other murders around the country that match couples being shot, so strangled. So could he be the OG Zodiac killer? Could be. 
Well, well, but the zodiac, that's the whole thing with like the letters and, you know, so. And yeah. So no, I guess. Right. We don't know. He could have written the letters or was he doing the killings and somebody else was writing the letters? Right. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, oh, yeah. If he did the killings and then, yeah, it did just stop. They did have somebody, though, that they thought was pretty good for it. Yeah. Remember at the end of the movie? It's just such a shit show. I know. Yeah. Okay, back to 1961. Okay. Portland area. Yes. Okay. So the police are focusing on the party goers. Okay. When Edwards is arrested. So the parties were packed with troubled teens and young adults. Some of them knew and did not think very highly of Larry Payton. Many of these young people had criminal records for robberies and burglaries, which I don't know the difference between those two. (laughs) Uh, Same thing. Um, And some weapons were found in a garbage can. They found an automatic pistol and two knives. Okay. And there were stories of fistfights, and there were lots of motives. So October 1966, Earl's son who was one of the lead investigators on the case, received a letter from a woman who was at the party and said she has information about the murders. Her name is Nikki Essex, and she talked about information that would only have been known to people at the scene of the crime. Um, and she talked about the party and the attack, and she also talked about a knife that had been left on the hood of Larry's car. Oh. Which was not divulged to the public. Hmm. Um, August 1968, the Multnomah County Grand Jury indicted three men, brothers Edward and Carl Jorgensen, and a friend of theirs, Robert Brom, and they were all charged with the murders. Uh, the men protested their arrest, and they pled not guilty to the charges of murder. Hmm. So the trials began early November 1968, started with the brothers, the Jorgensen's, um, and so all three men had attended the party on the night of November 26th and Nikki, the lady who called police, she provided testimony and she was a star witness. She said she left the party with Edward and Brom to go get more beer. So while they're heading back to the party, they drive past Larry and Beverly who were in their vehicle, and she invited them to the party. And the, the couple agreed, and they followed them in the, uh, followed them to the party. But, of course, young men in alcohol, the two cars start to race, and Larry forced Brahms' car onto a curb and damaged it. Oh. So, Brahm is pissed. He, I bet he is. Yes. He goes to the party and he gets another car <laughs> and he gets Nikki oh. and the Jorgensen brothers mm-hmm. to come with him. And she says that Brom located Larry's car and chased it down a dead end road in Forest Park. The boys exited the car, get into a fight, and this is when Nikki says she peaced out and she ran on foot to the main road. Good. But while she's running, she says she hears a loud crack that sounded like a gunshot. And shortly after that, the three boys, Jorgensen and Brom, returned to the main road in Brom's vehicle and they picked her up. And she says that Beverly was in the car with them. So they drop Nikki off at her house. And the three boys left with Beverly. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nikki, though her testimony was questioned by Jorgensen's attorney, who pointed out that she underwent hypnosis and sodium amytal, true serum, treatments in an attempt to recall the events of that night. So how much was she really remembering and how much was false? Okay. Uh, So the jury finds the brothers guilty and they receive a life sentence Oh, only one brother. I'm going to back up here. Edward. So they find Edward guilty, and he gets a life sentence plus 25 years. But his brother Carl was acquitted 
Okay. And then Brom was the last to be tried, and he was convicted and sentenced to life plus 25 years. Okay. So Edward is paroled from prison in 1973, and Brom was released in 77 um, during a work release program in the Portland area. The chairman of the parole board at the time said in in the Tri-City Herald newspaper, Mm. kind of local, he said prison... Prison officials considered Brom the best inmate they had ever had. Oh. He was paroled to Hawaii, where he was offered a job, and he died while in Thailand about 10 years ago. Hmm. The brothers both left Oregon. So Earl's son, the lead investigator, said that they questioned about 2,200 people over the course of the investigation. Wow. They had 453 suspects. 47 of them were for sure cleared. Hmm. So that's a lot that weren't. Almost 400. Yeah. And they spent about a quarter of a million dollars on the Jesus. search and investigation efforts. Wow. Okay, back to our Eugene home. Why is the article hidden in the wall? I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You've been cleared. Yeah. So our boy, Randy, who's home who owns a home, was curious and wanted to know, you know, why those newspaper articles were hidden in the wall. And so he does a search of the Eugene City Directory for 1962, which was the year that the clippings were from, and a couple named John and Dorothy Phillips had owned the house. Uh, They're now in their 90s, but they still lived in Eugene. So Randy called and talked to Mr. Phillips and explained what, what he was doing and John said he had no idea why those were in the wall, but that had been his the room of his two older boys. So the younger boy, John, had died of cancer in 1999 at the age of 51, but Mike was living in Washington. He was now 65. Hmm. So Randy calls Mike, and he finds out that the, the younger boy, John, who had died in 1989... That was his half of the room where the newspapers were hidden. And his brother said that's just something that his brother John would have done. Mm. He said it had to have been put there when we lived there. So if my dad doesn't know anything about it, it was probably my brother. So John was 12 at the time. And his brother said he just delved into everything. And he, he remembers the murders and he said that that's something his brother would have been really interested in. Hmm. And he was also really interested in hypnotism. Oh. Which, remember, played a part in the trial. Yeah. So all of that would have caught his attention for something to, you know, sneak away. Hmm. And a little interesting tidbit here. So Mike said one of their sisters, Claire, sucked her thumb for a long time. So John hypnotized her. And Mike said... He don't know. He didn't know what he did, but after that, she never sucked her thumb again. Oh, woo, freaky! That is all. Nice. Yes, you're welcome. Um, thank you. That was very <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, my sources are Scene of the Crime podcast, King Five News, The Olympian. Uh, crimeonline.com and that is I think it Mm. cool yes I think okay so this is the Mm. unsolved case of Karen Bodine Karen Bodine yep okay okay hey we both did unsolved again WTF OMG. Oh I mean, mine was kind of solved, but kind of not. Mm, yeah. Yours is definitely questionable. more solved than mine. Oh. Mine is literally yay, not. Let's see if we can solve it. Close. We might crack the case. We probably won't. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Karen Bodine never did stray far from home. Even after she was grown and had three children of her own. She wasn't in a hurry to leave the community near Tumwater, where she grew up. Same. Where she had lived with her parents and big brother Greg. 
It was a tight-knit family that Karen and her kids could always count on. In the fall of 2006, Karen's oldest, Carly, was starting her senior year in high school. Her middle daughter, Taylor, was a freshman, and her youngest son, Tanner, was starting middle school. She'd broken up with uh, their father, who it turned out to be more interested in partying than parenting, Mm. and had taken her little family back home to live with her parents. They were short on money, but never short on love. Karen would take every opportunity to make her kids feel special, leaving little notes in their backpacks and filling their home with laughter. Then Karen met a new beau. She started staying at his apartment nearby. Her children stayed with their grandparents, but their bond with their mother remained strong. This next part is from a different article. Okay. Um, Karen's children lived with their grandparents from a very young age, Taylor told the Olympian. So Taylor's the middle child. Mm -hmm. So this is after the disappearance. This is when Taylor is now an adult talking to the Olympian. Um, But not for lack of effort on their mother's part. Sharon Bodine, which is Karen's mother and the kids' grandmother, told the Olympian that Karen and the kids had been living with them by mutual agreement. Karen eventually moved out, but remained very much involved in the kids' lives. She'd find ways to show up to the kids' events and often stop by their grandparents' house and never without a gift for her kids in hand. When Karen got a job in the kids' school lunchroom, Taylor said her mom would sneak her a couple extra chicken nuggets and come over to say hi. Um. Everything she did focused around being closer to us and with us as often as possible, said Taylor. Mm. Okay, back to the other article. On one Friday in January, her daughter Carly, which is the oldest, stopped by after school, as she often did. They chatted and shared a few laughs before Carly got up to leave. Karen didn't want her to go. She never did. Just five more minutes, she begged. Just five more minutes. Mm. But Carly had places to go and so much on her teenage mind. Yep. She'd see her mother again soon. Karen wasn't going anywhere. At least, that was the plan. That night, Karen and her boyfriend had a fight. Not just an argument, but a knock-down, drag-out battle that ended with police at their front door and Karen moving out. But she didn't go back home. Maybe it was embarrassment over another failed relationship, or maybe she just preferred the comfort of her friends. Karen spent the weekend looking for a place to land. By Sunday, she was out of options and found herself calling home, looking for help, trying to reach her parents or Carly. But the phones just kept ringing. That's how Karen found herself wandering down a residential street in Lacey. This is in Washington, by the way, for those of you who don't know. Oh, okay. Thanks. (sighs) Yeah, you're welcome. It was cold, and she didn't have a warm coat. A neighbor noticed Karen and was worried about her, so they called the police. So I wonder how far the apartment was from her parents. Yeah, I don't know. Like, is she walking to her parents' house? But it said that she was wandering. I think she's just walking. Oh, boy. An officer stopped to see how she was doing. Karen waved them off. She was fine, she said, just thinking, trying to clear her head. But the officer wouldn't let her let it go. He couldn't leave this young woman out in the cold as day was turning to night. He convinced her to go to a woman's shelter where she could warm her bones until she decided what to do next. At least, that's what could have happened. No, wait, what? That's not what happened? No. What might have happened if only Karen had not been so persistent. If only the officer had not given up. Oh, jeez. Instead, Karen wandered into the night, never to be seen alive again. Oh. It was just hours later, early on Monday morning, when Karen's body 
would be found naked and posed along Ooh. a country road nearly 30 miles from her hometown. Posed? Mm-hmm. Ooh. What's worse, news reports declared the body of a transient and suspected drug addict had been dumped and Karen's murder quickly fell off the radar. It felt like nobody cared. Like nobody saw Karen for who she really was. But with a new investigator on the case and a new effort to rekindle public interest, could they finally answer the burning question? So, was she on drugs? Well, let's dive into it. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. So, the burning question is who killed Karen Bodine? And the fact that it's posed, that makes me think somebody that's done it before or like serial killer you know because if it was a crime of passion or some you know a thug in a back alley saw her walking and this was like yeah i'm gonna have my way with you and then murder you it wouldn't be the posing yeah i yeah i that has me concerned don't know i mean the whole thing has me concerned <laughs> yeah <laughs> So investigators have not given away many details about Karen's case. Thurston County Sheriff's Detective Mickey Hamilton explained that it's a way to vet information. When a person calls in to say he or she has information on the case and knows details that haven't been released publicly, mm. the officer will give more uh, 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 credence. Sorry. Uh, however, the Olympian confirmed some details of the investigation with the Thurston County Sheriff's Office. A Lacey police officer saw Karen alive between 9 and 10 a.m. the day before her body was found. So this is the police officer that, that stopped. Should have persisted that she go to a women's shelter or taken her to a women's shelter. Yes. According to your article. Yes, according to that article. Well, so that was, um, yeah, I guess let me back up. So that whole blurb that I just read was from the Scene of the Crime podcast. On October 22nd, 2020, uh, King 5 News interviewed Carolyn and Kim, who are the hosts of Scene of the Crime podcast. Um, so they explained that Carly, the oldest daughter, just couldn't get over why nobody cared mm -hmm. about Karen's murder. Um, and so they reached out to Carolyn and Kim because it was, it's a pretty big podcast in the Seattle area. Oh, okay. And so they... Carly was basically like, help me Aww. get my mom's story out there. And this is recent. Yeah. You know? Um, so, let's see. The body of Karen was found the morning of January 22nd, 2007 at a gravel pit adjacent to Little Rock Road Southwest. Um... So Carly contacted Carolyn and Kim and begged them to cover her mother on their podcast. Uh, Carly wanted Carolyn and Kim to help bring her mother's case back to light because basically it went cold and like no one cared because Karen was with a quote unquote rough crowd a weekend before her murder. Hmm. Um, a lot of the witnesses don't have a clear memory of what happened, which didn't help the case. Also, the detective on the case was about to retire, and all of the news reporters who said a drug addict and a transient had been dumped. So it just fell off the radar because the community didn't care. So in the interview, Carolyn and Kim said there was evidence collected from 2007, several samples of DNA taken off of Karen's body, and the medical examiner, now the state crime lab, 
is trying to pull those DNA strands apart to try to figure out the individuals who might have been behind them and then hopefully connect them to the murder. Wow. So now let me go back. Beep, boop, 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 bop. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the Thurston County Sheriff Detective, Mickey Hamilton. So he's now the detective on the case. <clears throat> At the time in 2007, he was just a patrol cop. A beat cop. Sure. So, but he was saying to, I think it was to Carolyn and Kim from the podcast, that it just bugged him that no one cared about this woman. It doesn't matter what her history was. Yeah. Yeah, she had a drug history, but who fucking cares? You know, she got Mm -hmm. clean. She was doing the best she could. She's a mother. Yes. Like, and someone's murdered. Right. That's... Who fucking cares? Wow. Um, so, okay. Let's see. So, the, the Lacey police officer who saw Karen alive between 9 and 10 a.m. the day before her body was found. So, based on witness accounts, she was also known to be alive that night. Um, about an hour before her body was found the next morning... A woman reportedly saw a vehicle at the location, uh, an early 1980s Datsun. Datsun? Datsun? Mm-hmm. What's that? A car? Well, I don't know if they make cars. It's like a little pickup. Oh. So, you know, like a Ford Ranger's tiny. Oh. This is tinier. Oh. And they look like they're really light. Like, I mean, you just look like you could go over and just pick it up. <laughs> I Let me... You've seen them before. Well... They're not as common now, but you used to kind of see, you know, them bopping around the highway every once in a while. Probably. Datsun truck. Yeah, they're just just teeny tiny. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And a lot of times they're not in that great of shape. These ones are pretty nice. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah. So this was a early 1980s. One that appeared to be abandoned. The car was gone when another driver found Karen. She was naked when she was found, about a car's width away from the roadway, and there were marks on her body and ligature around her neck. Mm. There was no effort to hide her body. Also, she wasn't posed. Well, I don't know. Oh. Either way, she Mm. was basically just dumped there i hate that word but yeah yeah you know like Mm i i don't know maybe it looked like she was posed the way she landed you know what i mean if she was sitting up i don't or i don't know Mm. um she had been evicted uh from her residence by the sheriff's office based on a protection order filed against her on the friday prior to the monday her body was found Uh, which is what the detective told the Olympian. She had been staying at a friend's house that weekend. In Carly's words, she always had a home. Uh, Detective Hamilton confirmed Karen had been hanging out with people who were involved in drug activity and that almost all of them had been arrested since then for drug activity of some type. Hmm. It's not clear exactly which person killed her. But there's several who had the potential. Oh. Uh, Karen's case briefly reemerged into the public eye in 2014 when sources came forward with new information, but none of the information was enough to lead to an arrest. With new information uh, recently resurfaced, it's now reactivating the case right now. Mm, Okay. Um, evidence is being, again, re-reviewed, and interviews are being re-conducted. Okay. So, anyone with information about Karen Boudin's death, as well as the days leading up to it, is asked to call the Thurston County Sheriff Sheriff's Office at 360 
786-5500 or Detective Mickey Hamilton at 360-786-5279. There uh, is a $50,000 reward being offered by the family of Karen. Wow. And a $1,000 reward from Crime Stoppers for information leading to an arrest and her murder. So to give Mm -hmm. an anonymous tip, uh, you can contact Crime Stoppers of South Sound. And then you can also go to the Facebook page, which is titled Justice for Karen Bodine. And it has all the information that I listed and probably much more if you have any questions or anything. Um, I know the daughters are in charge of that Facebook page, and I actually follow it, and they post daily. Oh, good. And it's it's heartbreaking. Oh, they're just keeping it fresh, though. Yeah, and it's local, and it's it's sad, and it's their mother, you know? And they're adults now, and they just want to know, like... And how many of these crimes happen? Right. Where, you know, it's just not taken with the same weight as uh, it was somebody else. Exactly. How unjust. And, yeah, it, it shouldn't matter what your past looks like, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I, I think of myself. I hope that if I were ever murdered and, you know... And no one knew who my killer was. People don't judge it because of my past. Ugh, you know what no, I mean? Like, no. it shouldn't matter. So- mm-hmm. Someone's murdered. Yeah. That's what should matter. Amen. There's a killer on the loose. That's what your yeah, priority should be. Stopped. It's going to be somebody else. Exactly. Go like the Facebook page. And if you know anything or hear anything please call because i don't know i feel like any information even if you think it's silly or stupid i feel like anything is better than it could be something you never know exactly never know what tiny detail amen is going to provide relief that's all i got good job good work i hope they find some justice for her i know a lot of uh podcasts right now are actually covering it oh good yeah and i know they're reposting it on their facebook page and they're very thankful just trying to get the word out there and i think that's what we can do as podcasters too um so if you are listening and you're a podcaster i think it's important to cover the story even if you don't do uh washington Mm, murders i think it's important to cover it uh help get the word out all right you got a little uh fun fun i don't fun is it fun f-u-n oh god just wanna have fun tonight (laughs) wing chung tonight all right so hypnotism was in my story so this is a little article from thought catalog by holly riordan who took comments from Reddit. Oh. Real stories of people who had been hypnotized. Mm. Okay. My friend believed that she won the lottery. Oh. This was not me, but a very close friend of mine. I am direct quoting the article. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We went to the fair and they had a hypnotism act. Unless my friend is the most sneaky, secretive person, I had no idea this And I had no idea. This was not staged at all. When he got asked who wanted to be brought up to the stage, I pretty much jumped on my seat and told him to pick her. Sure enough, he did. So when he asked, the hypnotism act. So it sounds like this is two girls. So they brought up about 10 people. And they did their little tricks. And they made her think that she had won the lottery. She was crying on stage and told everyone that she actually lost her job that day and that this was a gift from God. After it was all said and done, we sneaked, we asked her what happened, and she just remembers all of it like you would remember a dream. But it actually 
happened. Oh. So in college, this is number five, we had a hypnotist perform for Greek Week, so I volunteered. From my recollection, I was playing along and nothing too eventful happened. Flashback to last year when I find old Facebook pictures of that night. In the pictures, my friend and I are both shirtless giving sorority girls lap dances in the front row. Oh. I have no memory of this. <laughs> this is a good one. Number seven. I thought I gave birth, even though I'm a man. What? <laughs> oh, this person was accidentally hypnotized at a show in Spain in 2005. I was in the audience, really tired, drinking beer. The hypnotist saw me falling asleep and brought me on stage. I remember doing things like giving birth, holding my newborn son, and having my voice crack with joy when I was asked why my jet what gender my child was oh my gosh it was an interesting experience where i about 50 i was about 50 percent aware at the time it's very similar to the feeling you have when you wake up in the middle of the night to pee everything is hazy but you were in control hmm oh this is perfect everyone tried to eat one another oh no thank you if you have to be open to the oh you have to be open to the idea of hypnotism for it to work at my high school graduation party, we had a hypnotist come, and the people who were skeptical did not get hypnotized. Then there were the ones that were hypnotized to the point where they truly believed they were opera singers at the snap of the finger. One of the exercises was, the person to your left is the smelliest person in the world, and the person to your right smells like your favorite food. It ended up being one person trying to hug, eat, or be near the... Uh, be near the person next to them, but they wanted nothing to do with the other person because they smelled like trash. Mm, nice. <laughs> no, that person uh, screamed at a stranger for peeing in an imaginary pool. Nice. Okay, and that's the end of the hypnotism stories. Very nice. Fun little way to end it. Thank you, Thought Catalog and Reddit. <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. If you have a fun, weird, scary, chilling, goofy, quirky story for us that you'd like us to tell you can email it to us at murderofages at gmail.com that's right you can also follow us on instagram and twitter at murder of ages that's all we got for you tonight thank you for letting us be in your head you're welcome and in your personal space for these last minutes Thank you for letting us blow your mind. Close us out. To all you perverse, notorious wastes, we'll meet you there.